0: I sent you all a little note that we're going to, have to leave a little more time to, uh, in case you want to discuss any of these points. So I want to give a little information about Ramanuja and then make a few philosophical points and then uh, give you all a chance to philosophize In that sense uh, we can not only read about these traditions but actually do it ourselves, sort of hands-on Vedanta. And that's actually what people were doing in India for a long time and are still doing, so we can actually take a whack at it ourselves. Um, Ramanuja was born in South India. Uh, well, I'll tell you what his name means, actually. Rama, of course, is the hero of the Ramayana. We're going to be meeting the Ramayan, Lord Rama, who's one of the great deities of India. And then Anu means uh, after, and Jam means born. So Ramanuja means the one who's born after Rama. It's a name for Lakshman, one of the great heroes of the Ramayana. So that was the that was name he got. His spiritual name, actually, not his given name.
1: So Ramanuja was born in southern India,
0: and he was a brilliant young guy, just like Shankara. He went to a Shankara school, in the sense of that you know he was, he was a Brahmin by birth, and he was quite intellectual, and so as a, as a young person, he was sent to the school, and that's what was being taught. That was sort of the curriculum back then. So he got the Shankara version of Vedanta, and it didn't seem right to him, and he got into a real struggle with his uh, teacher, his guru. So much so that, according to legend or tradition, his teacher actually plotted to kill him. Uh, anyway, that's the story. So uh, it, it failed. And therefore, we're talking about Ramanuja. If it had succeeded, he wouldn't have his day in this course. So anyway, Ramanuja uh, grew up. And as he, he, he married, he eventually left... Family life, his wife without children because he was strongly committed to the idea that a spiritual community should not be divided according to caste, that it's one thing people have certain social duties or certain vocations or occupations within the, you could say, the material society but in terms of spiritual community you can't make distinctions like that anyone who is trying to understand God or trying to make spiritual advancement, it doesn't matter what their caste is, and apparently his wife uh, according to the biographies was very, very stuck on this caste thing, and in fact can, repeatedly offended uh, people that he considered to be saints because they were born in the wrong family, had the wrong last name or something. And so finally it sort of uh, ended their marriage because she was committed to these caste distinctions and he wanted to go beyond it. and, and uh, he honored certain people because of their spiritual accomplishments regardless of their caste anyway he went to southern he went down to a place called sri Rangam, which is one of the great temple cities of india it's actually perhaps, it's one of the largest temples in the world it's one of the wonders of the world architecturally it's still one of the main temple cities in india and he was accepted there as yacharya or the, the spiritual head of a growing spiritual community and in service to his teacher he compiled a commentary on vedanta so that, in a few words, is Ramanuja. He uh, had tremendous influence. He still does. He, he's one of the most famous and uh, greatest teachers in Indian religious history. I mean, everyone still knows about him and uh, he still has enormous influence in certain parts of India. So, uh, in terms of his philosophy, uh, well, we'll talk about that. Actually, we'll just jump into the philosophy. Uh, well, one thing, he had an interesting idea. In, in reply to Nagarjuna, if you remember Nagarjuna, and the shunyata, the emptiness, the idea that if you say anything exists, what you really mean is that it exists independently. And, and Ramanuja said, no, not really. Uh, he said, there's such a thing as adhritak. Uh, a means not independent or not separate. Stiti. Sthiti just means situation. So something can exist in a dependent way. It's not, a, it's not independent, it's dependent. And when we say, so He also was a theist. Ramanuja is really the first great, the first great systematic philosopher who was arguing in favor of a supreme personal god, capital G, as in the sense of old-fashioned religion, as we know it here in the West. So it's not that no one believed in a personal god, but Ramanuja is the first great theologian, the first great philosopher who, who argued in favor of a, personal God, capital G. And he himself was very devoted. So his uh, big dispute with Shankar, which I'm sure you've read in the book, was sadguna uh, Nirguna, means qualities like, like, for example, merciful, having a personality, being beautiful, being kind or just, all these qualities. And Ramanujan basically said, Sard means with, God is with qualities. God has all these glories, all these qualities. And Shankar argued, no, near, as in nirvana, God is without qualities. So that was, in a sense, their basic dispute. That was their basic dispute. Is there a supreme God who is glorious, who has all kinds of qualities, who enters into a relationship with souls, or not? And uh, Ramanuja said yes. So, philosophically speaking, again, I want to set this up so uh, we can all talk, if you're so inclined. I put this little chart on the board because I think it gets at the heart of what the philosophical issue is. Now, the English word analysis, which could mean just to try to figure something out, to analyze something, but in more technical, philosophical usage, which is what we're doing here, it means specifically to sort of break things up into their pieces, so so you analyze. It's the opposite of synthesis. Uh, Synthesis means you kind of put it all together. What's the big picture? What is the holistic understanding? What does it look like if you put it all together? And analysis is the opposite. If you break it all into its smallest pieces, it's like, for the typical thing of analysis, is uh, Richard Dawkins, for example, the professional biologist who, uh, uh, as an amateur, does philosophy and theology and history. So Dawkins, for example, says that a table, a table is just, let's say, particles and spaces, which I thought was a very intriguing point that came up last time you know, let's say it's little particles with huge spaces. So uh, the idea that if you if you dissolve the table, if you break it down into the smallest possible pieces, that's the real table. So the way you and in Sanskrit this is called Vyasa. V means it's actually an I, but it becomes Y phonetically. Euphonically I should say. So V means apart, away, like via in Italian, like get out of here, via, via. And so, and asa means putting or placing. So when you put things apart, the great Vyasa, the editor of the Vedas, is called Vyasa, if you've heard of him, because he separated the Vedas. He divided the Vedas. But anyway, so Vyasa means putting things apart, and also beta. Beta means difference. There's another key term. So in other words, if, if you analyze things in a philosophical sense, you break them up into pieces, you take it all apart. To, you know as far as you can and uh, then you have differences you have just different things lying around so that's analysis so analysis says the way you really understand something is dissolve it and then the opposite is synthesis which says the way you really understand something is put it all together. What's the big picture? How does it all fit together? And the word for synthesis in a sense in this context or different words is sum asa. I, did this, I put these hyphens in so you can see the relationship between Greek and Sanskrit. Uh, these two words, of course the Greeks would probably say syn. This is actually like an umlaut, U, like French or German U. But anyway, so sin thesis, the together thesis, or in Sanskrit, samasa, putting things together. And when you put things all together and you say it's all one, then you get updated. it's not different, it's just all one thing. So these are just some terms I'm going to be using. Uh, to sort of focus and organize the discussion, because this is really at the heart of what these people were arguing about. Now, uh, I made this little chart, uh, soon to be made into a major motion picture. So, this is Ramanuja. This is Ramanuja. This is Shankara, and this is Nagarjuna. It's interesting, his initials in Sanskrit mean not. And his philosophy was 1880, not this, not that, so... Anyway, so here are these three philosophers who are sort of, I mean, there's a historical progression here because you have Nagarjuna, who is the big Shunyata, emptiness, Buddhist philosopher. He's the one that really, he's the big guy for emptiness in in Buddhist history. And then Shankar comes along and says, well, wait a second. As you may remember, he adopts or, or actually comes up with a Hindu monasticism because... Nagarjuna was a monk, and the Buddhist intellectuals were basically in monasteries, just like uh, medieval Christian intellectuals, and scholars, and philosophers. And so Shankar starts a Hindu monastic system, and he incorporates a lot of Buddhist logic and thinking, but at the end of the day, he comes up with the Brahman of the Upanishads. So he says, if you take all this logic and all this... Because remember, we discussed last time that uh, in India at that time, it was the heterodox... People, people outside the Vedic culture who were the big philosophers and who were kind of dominating academic philosophy at that time. So Shankara this became, I mean, the biggest, actually, Indian philosopher. And he takes a lot of this Buddhist stuff and he sort of Vedicizes it, comes up with the Brahman of the Upanishads, and then Ramanuja comes along and says, well, wait a second. I mean, Shankara, if you say you accept the Vedas and Vedanta and the Upanishads and Bhagavad Gita, this is what it really says. This is what the Vedanta and the Upanishads, especially the Bhagavad Gita, this is what it really says. So he argues in his own way for theism. So you have this historical progression. These three people stake out very clear positions. There's also Madhva from southwest India, uh, Ramanuja's southeast India, and it was in your book, which you've all memorized by now, that... um, So Madhva basically was a dualist. He went even farther than uh, Ramanuja. Ramanuja's, we'll get to his philosophy in a second. Whoops, I should have written it. That's actually very important. Um, Ramanuja's philosophy is famous as Vishishtadvaita. And uh, maybe I'll go to the chart really quickly tell you what this means vishishta advaita and you remember of course that Shankara's philosophy is advaita non-dual advaita and so sort of, sort of tweaks it and says yeah, I'm also accepting advaita I also accept the statements in the Vedanta the Upanishads that everything is one that there's no duality but that advaita that non-duality has distinctions there are distinctions within that Brahman And so it's vishishta. Vishishta means distinguished, like, like for example, visheshana in in, in Sanskrit means an adjective, a distinguishing word, like house is a noun, red house, blue house, big house, small house. Adjectives distinguish things. So Ramanuja is going to say, within the Advaita, within the Brahman, there are distinctions. And therefore, and some of those those distinctions are real, and therefore you can't just wave them all away. Uh, so let's go through this chart very quickly and you'll see what their positions are. In terms of analysis, this is just analysis here, which means dissolving everything down, that a valid way to understand everything, a valid way to understand the ultimate truth. I mean, obviously Shankar knew that if I turn left, I get home. If I turn right, you know, it goes out into the country. I mean, obviously Shankar knew up and down and right and left and blue and green and all these things. But in terms of ultimate truth, in terms of understanding the highest truth, uh, Nagarjuna is all about analysis. You just keep dissolving, 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 and that's how you get the truth. Because everything is soluble; everything is made of parts. Parts are made of parts, and therefore it's all ultimately empty. Because there's, there's no, you can't grab onto anything, and so that's emptiness. Everything's empty because everything just dissolves. So, uh, Nagarjuna's all about analysis, all about Vyasa. Shankara, no. Shankara says you get the highest truth by seeing there are no parts. Ultimately, there's nothing to analyze. All you need to know is one thing, Brahman. It's all Brahman. Do you think there's anything else, think again. You know, you better check into one of my monasteries and get your head set right. So, is not... You can't get the highest truth by looking at parts because there are no parts. Ramanu just says, yeah, there are parts. That's the Vishta part. The Advaita is distinguished by different, there are different things inside that Brahman. It's one, there's one Brahman, but there's stuff inside there, like individual souls and like a material world and God. Those are the three things. Those are the distinctions. There are three, and this is called in Sanskrit, I, think, I don't remember this for Tattva. Tatva means an ontological truth, a fundamental real thing. It's called tatwa, And triad means a triad three. So there are three fundamental real things. And this is, a, this is Ramanuja and actually most everybody else after him. But the three fundamental real things that you can't dissolve, you can't break down into something else, are God, individual souls, and material nature, the material world. Now, Ramanuja obviously knows that, for example, you can break this chalk. What he means is, there is a substance. It's just like in modern science. There's an underlying energy, which is just material energy that can form itself in any shape, but still, it's one thing. It's one material energy. And as energy itself, that's just what it is. And those are the three fundamental, real things, the three tattvas uh, God, souls, and matter. And those are the distinctions. That's why he calls it Vishishtadvaita. So Ramanuja just says, "Yeah, you can analyze because there's these three different fundamental realities which are somehow one." And he'll explain, "Well, I'll explain if we have how he thinks that even though you have these three things, you still only have one Brahman. You have three in one. There's one ultimate reality, but within that one ultimate reality, there are three aspects of it, three modes, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. Now, in terms of synthesis, putting it all together." Nagarjuna says there's nothing to synthesize. There's nothing there. There are no things, because everything you call a thing is just going to dissolve. It's just it's not there. And, I mean, it's there. The material world really exists, but it's, it's going to break down to something else. It's moving. It's changing. It depends on something else. So there really aren't things to grab onto. There aren't things to attach yourself to. So in your Buddhist meditation, don't get attached, because there's nothing to be attached to. So for Nagarjuna... Synthesis, there's, you know, what are we going to synthesize? He knows the material world's there, but it's not ultimate. For Shankara, yeah, it's all about synthesis. There's only one thing. The big picture is all there is. There's just one thing called Brahman. And if you think there's even two things, not to speak of 19 or 37, uh, that's the lower stage of reality. You're operating at a lower stage of reality. The higher stage is only one ultimate undifferentiated things, no parts, called Brahman. Now, Ramanuja also is going to say, yes, there's synthesis. Because ultimately, Ramanuja calls his philosophy Vishista Advaita. Everything is made of the same thing. Everything is made of God. There's a supreme God. And everything else that exists is sort of the energy of that one God. So there is a big picture. It does all fit together. So what's interesting, if you just look at this part of the chart here, what you find is that Nagarjuna and Shankara are kind of against each other, and they both accept only one of these two standard methods of analysis, whereas Ramanuja accepts both. Now, I'd like to apply very quickly this, um, this is also called Veda-Veda, you had that little link which some of you may have read, I read it myself last night, and it's almost sorry I gave it to you, but anyway, it's Veda-difference and non-difference, because take this room, for example, just consider the strength. Right. In order for you to be a sane human being and kind of just a sane, functional human being, you have to be able to perform two operations here and now. One thing is you have to make certain distinctions like this is my body, that's someone else's body, and this is my seat, that's someone else's seat, and that's the door and that's the wall so you don't try to walk through the wall. And that's the floor and that's a water bottle and, you know, that's a penknife so don't try to drink the penknife or or cut something with with your water bottle, and so you have to know differences of time, like is it this time or is it that time, and so on. I mean, think about it. Even though you, we take it for granted, you actually are making hundreds and thousands of distinctions just by being in this room. At the same time, in order not to fall into sort of, you could say, psychological Humpty Dumptyism, we can't put it back, you have to be able to put it all together. In other words, to be a sane a sane, functional human being, you have to be able to put this all together and see it as one thing, like we're in the room talking. And so if all you can do is the parts and you can't put it all together, uh, you need help. And if you can see the whole thing, like we're in a room, but you can't make distinctions like your body, someone else's body, the chair, the ceiling, the door, the wall, if you can't really distinguish these things, that's that's also a problem. So in everyday life, in the real world, we both analyze and synthesize. We see the parts and we see the big picture. I mean, consider psychology. Consider a healthy relationship. I mean, a healthy romantic relationship. In a healthy relationship, the people, if the two, well, first let's start with the unhealthy part. That's interesting. So... If the people lose their individuality, it's called codependency. You have two people in a relationship, and they basically lose themselves. They're not really individuals anymore. They become sort of lost in their codependency. That's not great. On the other hand, if the two people just really aren't in any way united anymore, they're really so separate that there's no real sense in which they're a couple, that's a problem also. So if you think of a healthy relationship, there's a real sense in which here's a person, here's another person, and now there's a a new and third reality, which is here's a couple. And there's a real sense in which it's a new thing, and they're not merely just separate people. They really are a couple, a single couple. On the other hand, they're individuals, and they have to be strong and healthy as individuals. So even in human relationships, there's oneness, And there's difference. In ordinary cognition, to understand this room, you have to put it all together, you have to see the different parts. So there's a sense in which, as in both of our books actually said, both uh, uh, Hamilton and Rodriguez both said, that Ramanuja is kind of more like what everybody's really doing in India or thinking. I think the reason for this is because it's natural. That's just the nature of reality, that there is a oneness and there is a difference. So, I would say to Nagarajan, there's not only only players on a team, there's really a team. There's a real thing called a team. There's a real thing called a family. And it's not that if you say, well, there's really not a family. The family's empty. There's really just this guy, that girl, that person. There's no such thing as a family. Family is empty. Well, I don't know. I think there really are families. There really are teams and so on. I mean, think of the ancient Greeks. Th- think of the ancient Greeks. Socrates and, well, more Plato and Aristotle. Socrates kind of, little sort of proto uh, in this topic. But they had this huge debate point on, like a category and an individual, like horses. We all, If I say, for example, uh, a horse is a beautiful animal, and someone says, which horse? And I say, no, a horse. You know, the horse is a very useful animal. And so I mean the category horses, but then there are individual horses. And so the Greeks went nuts over this, like, is is category a real thing? Is there a real thing which is a category? Or is it just individuals? But suffice it to say, I'm I'm not going to try to resolve it now for 2,500 years, 400 years, but the point is that there's oneness and difference. The category is a real thing in the sense that there really is such a thing as horses in general. And there's really such a thing as an individual horse. So everywhere you look, human reason proceeds by categorizing. Can't categorize, can't reason. So there's oneness and there's difference. And Ramanuja is saying, this is natural. That's where the real world is. And it refl- And, and, and the, the reason the real world is like this is because that's where it was created. And that also reflects the relationship between the creator and the individual souls. There's a oneness. There's a real oneness. It's not just dualism. It's not that we fall so far short of the glory of God that we are like, you know, there's a huge gulf of it's not a huge gulf of separation dualism. We're really one with God at the same time we're really individual souls. Our relationship with God is similar to a healthy relationship with other human beings. There's a oneness a unity, an intimacy and at the same time we're individuals. That's the nature of reality. So that says Ramanuja it's uh, a clever guy. So now, in terms, of, I want to get to a few other points, and I want to get to the weed whacker in Hollywood. So, oh my God, I promise you, we discuss so. Okay, so if, if I'm just going to go into overdrive here, hyperdrive. So, in terms of creator, uh, Nagarjun, of course, doesn't want to hear about it. Shankara doesn't want to hear about it because for Shankara, uh, there's not really a creator God. And if you, but when Maya, when illusion hits Brahman, what you get is the idea of a creator, and if it makes you feel good now and helps you to be a good person and be religious, go ahead and worship that creator. But once you're in life you're going to throw that out because you've moved beyond it, you will transcend the preliminary, sort of deluded idea there's a creator. But if it helps you now, go with it. It's just like oh, my little three-year-old kid believes in Donald Duck, that's great. It makes a kid a great kid. When the kid grows up, the kid will realize there's no Donald Duck, no Santa Claus, no Tooth Fairy. But if it works for the kid now, that's good. So God is sort of like a cartoon. You let your kid watch before the kid becomes a real philosopher. So, so that's Shankara. I mean, it, it's in your book. I mean, I'm not just making this up. Although it's not put so bluntly and coarsely, but I think it's good just to give a thing its real name. So uh, just said, yeah, there's a creator. Now, because only Ramanuja thinks that someone really created the world, for Nagaraj, you know, teleology, no. In other words, there's no ultimate purpose to the universe. not that, that someone made the universe with a purpose. We create a purpose for ourselves. Like, I want to go to Buddhist heaven or I want to go to Nirvana. So we have purposes. But there's not someone else that made a purpose for the whole universe. And Shankara is sort of marginal because he sort of goes both ways. But Ramanuja says, yes, there is a purpose, there are individual souls, and and they both say no. So that's basically Ramanuja. Uh, Any questions on that so far? Because we're going to Hollywood. You'll see how. Now, uh, some I think it was Marco who said last time about the table. Was it you that said about the table being particles in space? Who said that about tables... According to physics, just being particles in and wa- in wide spaces. Oh.
2: Yeah.
0: oh, oh, Sarah. Yeah. But anyway, that really got me thinking. I thought about that a lot. And uh, so take a weed whacker. Uh, you know what weed whackers are, right?
2: No.
0: Those things with a motor on it that has like a little plastic string and they used to cut to trim
2: okay.
0: the grass. Now what's interesting is, uh, the reason I chose this because a weed whacker... Uh, you know, it goes around real fast, and you shouldn't touch it because you can wreck your whole day if you grab onto a moving weed whacker. So, but you could say, well, look at the weed whacker is just a string. It's just a string. That's all it really is, going around very fast. And yet, my point is when the weed whacker is turned on, it creates a force field. So for practical purposes, in terms of relativity, the speed of your hand compared to the speed of the string, it really creates a solid force field. And the same way in this table, this table actually creates a force field. You can say it's particles with huge spaces, but guess what? Uh, those particles and those spaces somehow or other are creating a force field which is functioning as a solid surface. And so the question I want to raise here, and this has to do with teleology, is between Vyasa and Samasa, like the Samasa, the synthetic view of the table is, it's a solid table. That's what it all amounts to. If you want to break it down, no, it's just uh, particles and spaces. So, on what grounds are we forced to privilege analysis over synthesis? On what grounds are we forced to say that the analytic view, that the breaking everything apart view, that's what the table really is, as opposed to the way the table functions in the real world? Why is one of those the real table more than the other. And so to try to answer that question, and this last thing I want to say before I uh, make good on my promise, this is a campaign season, so you have to make good on your promises. So, Hollywood. Uh, I'm actually from Southern California, and uh, a good part of my life, I lived actually in a part of the city where there are a lot of movie people around, you know, actors and directors and agents and things like that. So, I thought I would give an example from my own Uh, humble background. So, Hollywood, I mean, think of how you make a movie. Basically, a typical way they make a movie is, someone's got an idea. Maybe the producer. Producers often write the script, sometimes the director writes it, sometimes another writer submits it. So someone's got a great idea, and somehow or other, they sell it, or they've got the money themselves, the producer has the idea. So now, once you've got, once you proceed to make a movie, let's say I'm making a movie, and I'm the producer, And I've got this great story I want to tell. So now what I do is, I bring in all kinds of people, including special effects people. I need a special effects team. I need probably, if it's a typical movie, I'm going to need to work with a computer graphics studio, and so on and so forth. If I want to do innovative photography, I'm going to bring in special photographers, maybe special equipment. Now, all this stuff that I'm putting together, then, of course, casting and the actors and and you have to scout out the sites, you know, find the locations and so on and so forth. And so you put together this whole very complicated package and then you start to make a movie. Now, the movie's finally made. Let's say you go and buy a ticket and you sit there. And let's say you like the movie. Now, the point is that what if you're sitting there watching the movie and you're really into the movie, right? You've suspended... Uh, unreality, what do they call it? You know, suspension of disbelief, that's what they call it. You suspended your disbelief, so you are in the movie. Like, you're really there, it's happening for you. You care about it, you're there. Now, the person next to you says, huh, you know, that's not really a lake. You know what that is? That's just actually a little mock-up, you know, in the studio. And the way they do that is, you know, you want to, you want to really... Well, you don't strangle a person because... And and let's say every time something happens, well, that's not really a car chase. You you know, the way they really do that is... Now, the point is, let's say you buy the DVD for the movie. Now, on the DVDs, they have, you know, some of them, the the more important movies, by whatever criteria, have this one extra feature like, uh, you know, an extra feature they show you the special effects. Like, say, Terminator 3. Yeah, this is how we did this scene, this is how we did that scene. Now, the point is, the movie is teleological. The whole point of the movie is to get you into the theater or to get you to buy the DVD or rent it or just sit in front of it and get into the movie and like it. That's the whole purpose. So now to say that, so what's the real movie? If you say the special effects department, computer graphics department, and is that the real movie? In other words, is the mock-up, the little mock-up of some, let's say an Italian village, or the special effects that looks like, you know, someone's flying through space at a million miles an hour. The movie is teleological. The point is to get you to see the movie, to experience something. So, what's the real movie? What is the real movie? Now, according to Nagarjuna, according to Dawkins, Richard Dawkins, the real movie is just, you go into the, special, you go into the computer graphics studio, and then you break everything down, there's all these computers, you break the computers down and you just dissolve everything, and that's the real movie. Plato, I, I think I'm going to bring in Plato here. Plato said no, because an idea, let's say you go to a movie, and it inspires you, like love, or hate, or, I mean, it doesn't inspire you to hate, but let's say you see a movie that, that inspires you not to hate, or, or convinces you there is really true romantic love in the world, because I've experienced something, and i am totally connected with it, now I, I believe in it, or courage, or failure of courage, here, whatever. Those... Plato's point would be, and Ramanuj's point would be, those ideas are irreducible. You can't dissolve those things down. Courage, love, faith, uh, justice. These are not things that are... These are metaphysical. Metaphysics does not break down into little physical things. And so if you say that the real movie is just, you know, the, the special effects, the computer graphics, and even the little parts of the computer, and the special... the computer graphics, computers... And you just dissolve everything down, or you go to the studio where they made the movie and start dissolving everything there, you know, dissolve the, uh, everything. Just break everything down. That's the real movie. No, from the producer's point of view, the story is the real movie. The emotions you felt are the real movie, because that's metaphysical. If you're inspired by love, by courage, by justice, by whatever, those are metaphysical real things, according to Plato. And metaphysical things don't break down into physical things. They're not made of physical. It's like justice. There's no physical thing which is called a justice. It's a metaphysical. It's a value. So, basically, the answer to Nagarjun would be that uh, you're breaking down the physical world, but you're not dealing with metaphysical things. And then if there is a god or a soul, an individual soul, which is a real metaphysical thing, it doesn't break down. It doesn't break down. So, And this is what Ravanuja is saying, that, Qualities and it gets back to the discussion. The debate with Shankara. Uh, oh, I erased it. Saguna and nirguna. Justice is a guna. Love is a guna. Freedom is a guna. Courage is a guna. And Ramana is saying these are irreducible because you are an irreducible person. The reason you're an irreducible person is because you come from an irreducible supreme person, and that's the that's the from uh, the sutra. Tathagatam Brahmajijyaasa. Uh, That that the absolute truth, Brahman, is the source of everything. And because the source is personal, you are irreducibly an eternal, personal, free person, or soul, self. And therefore, justice, mercy, uh, love, courage, they're real things. Because they are qualities of eternal people. And therefore, those are eternal, positive qualities, which exist in God infinitely, and also can exist in us and that's basically the So, uh So, if you have any questions or comments on this, because, you know, I, I dealt with the table and the spaces between the particles and the table. So, I mean, does any of this, do you want to talk about any of this? Or become a, you know,
1: how, how apprentice
0: pedantist. Yes? How
1: are you trying to relate the, um, the space between tables to courage and all of this? Right, right. Thank you. Um, because those things are not physical, so then, how would you, right. because once you, don't focus on this you focus right on
0: what's inside the so how does this related? good yeah thank you for reminding me that I was didn't tie that up take the movie again uh, the whole purpose is the story right i'm producing a movie and i want you to see this story the, the real the reality of the movie is the story and even after you've seen the movie if you remember it, if it moved you the story is still inside of you because it wasn't just the little you know the pixels it, it wasn't a light on a screen it was the story and you got the story now in the same way what if the universe is just the ultimate movie in other words what if we are placed in this universe to learn something and therefore when i see a table it's a spe- maybe you know there's a special effects department somewhere in the universe and maybe it's just particles in space. <clears throat> but what if it's really meant to look like a table and feel like a table because that's part of the story? So the, the creation of the universe is really a story that someone's telling in order to teach us something. And so therefore, the idea of the table. Now, re- this is really Platonic. Plato is really an ally here. So Plato would say, let me I just do Plato just one second here. Yeah. Well, I was thinking of triangle. Plato the geometer. Well, yeah, I mean, that's also relevant, okay? But Plato says that in this world you can draw triangles. And he was a very enthusiastic the geometer himself. But he says that no matter how carefully you do it, you can never draw a perfect triangle. And yet the idea of triangles in your head, you know what a triangle is. And in your mind, you can understand the idea of a perfect triangle. So in that way, uh, the idea of triangle... You can erase all the triangles in the world. You can go around, find every triangle which is printed or engraved or somehow exists anywhere in the world, and get rid of them. But the idea of triangle is still there. And so the table, other you words, know, the table is a prop. You could say the table is a prop as part of the creation, because the whole creation is meant to teach you things. And uh, and therefore, it's uh, even though it's particle and spaces, it really functions as a force field. It functions practically as a table, and that's what it's because it, 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 it's it's meant to be seen by you and to be used by you, and and so and so, the, and so it's a question of not
1: subordinating
0: the metaphysics
1: to physics. Yeah, but if, wouldn't it, Is it possible that seeing the table like this may, um, on some level, remind you that it really isn't there, and that it's actually really The same way you watch a movie and it evokes an emotion. It right. yeah, reminds you of these things that are true here and true. right, right. Um, You already have those within you. So the next step beyond watching the movie is to realize that the movie is already within you. Yeah, life. To do life. Yeah, so you withdraw from whatever's physical... Well, that's what
0: Ramanuja's point is. Yeah. Because Ramanuja agrees with Shankara that this world's not the ultimate world. Ramanuja's going to say that what this world should remind us of, our relationships, our experiences, is that there's an eternal personal world which is real life. And so... And, and that's... Um, well, the coil and the rope. Remember the rope and the snake from Shankara? Th- there are real things. There's real personal life which lasts forever. One other example I, I just can't resist was Shankara, the, the burning fire. Uh, I mean, if you think about it, Shankara says... This is the example Shankara says, like, like how can illusion come from... There's only Brahman, nothing else. There are no two things. Advaita. There are not two things. There are not two things that exist anywhere. There's only one thing that exists, and it's Brahman. And yet there's illusion. So there's knowledge and illusion. There's Brahman, but there's ignorance. And so he says it's like a fire burning. So let's just say, like, like this is a fire here, and, and it's burning. But how could a fire burn itself? I mean, how could... Br- Think of burning. A fire burns. A fire... I mean, I mean the two basic things that fire does, is it burns and illumines. So burning is like the most natural thing that fire does. How could it be the case? The Shankara says, that what Brahman does, when Brahman is just like doing business is Brahman, what Brahman does is it confuses, it creates illusion, it creates ignorance. Because that's that's Shankara's example. Fire burns, and so Brahman creates illusion. Because Maya is compared to the burning of fire. And how can a fire burn itself? And how can Brahman confuse itself? If there's only one thing, which is pure knowledge, and yet pure knowledge confuses itself. So, what Ramanuja says is, no, maya is energy, but there's a statement in the Vedas, in the Upanishads, it says that God, it says that's the great Lord, anyway, the Maheshra, the great Lord, is maya, which means possesses maya. So, so, Someone, let's say when you're being raised by your parents, they can teach you a lesson in some way. So in the same way, a superior can teach us a lesson, but how could Brahman just burn itself or confuse itself or... And again, if one person's enlightened, why isn't everyone? So Ramanuja just saying, no, that everything is teleological. The table is... Like someone actually built this table for people to use. And the reason it's solid is because it was made that way. We can talk all day and night about particles in space, but that table is solid. And it was made to be solid. It was, it was made to function. It, it, it was made in such a way there is a solid force field. You can say there's particles in space, but there's a solid force field so that nothing's falling off the table or through the table. So, anyway, I hope this is all good. Any, any other points on this? Yes?
2: There was just a couple of confusing things in Dr. Rodriguez's um, book about Ramanujan Shankara. He, he tried to equate... I mean, differentiate Shankara from monism, and it didn't make any sense to me, because monism is... Uh, I noticed that also. Is he, one
0: yeah, he said if if you say I'm a monist, yeah. it means that there's something else, which is dualism. Then there never be two things. But if you say you're Advaita, someone could say there's something else which is dwaita. Right. So I don't think it was a... Yeah,
2: the second thing you said about Ramanuja, he said that... Uh, you go through karma to remove the seeds of karma? Does that didn't make any sense. He
0: wants three things. It says... Ramana. Well, yeah, the karma vija, which is a very common concept in the whole yoga system also, is that, let's say, for example, a, a child pre-puberty is innocent and, uh, you know, is innocent of things like material, like, like sex desire. But when the child gets a little older the sex desire automatically arises so the idea is and, and then the child starts manifesting in nature so we can see as we get older that we have stuff inside of us that comes out this old nature nurture debate debate as you get older as you grow up you start to realize more what's really inside of you and you start and things start to flower or blossom or you know some things you like some things you don't like so karma bija just means that if i do something in a past life and then i've got some karma coming at a certain point, it may just be like a seed, and that seed starts to grow, and, and a certain propensity or a certain need, desire, starts to manifest in my character or in my mind.
2: I understand that part. What I couldn't understand, you said, you have to go through karma to get rid of karma.
0: Well, that's just a common psychological principle. That I mean, let's say for now, we all decide we want to be enlightened. We have certain propensities, like I'm attached to certain things in the world. You can't just, like, slam on the brakes and say, okay, from this moment on, I'm just not going to do anything in, out there in the world. I'm like, you know, give up all my enjoyments and stop everything immediately. I mean, psychologically, you'll, it's, it's like you're driving a car at high speed and slamming the brakes and the car's going to flip. And so, psychologically, people can flip. And you, know, and, and you could, well, if you study spiritual communities, you see that. People would just slam on the brakes, flip. And and there's a sense in which you have to kind of work through, find a natural way at your own speed to work through your material desires and gradually elevate yourself.
2: One last Um, question. Both of them were from South India, and Uh they were studying the Sanskrit Veda. And I've heard that uh, the South, uh, you know, they had their own Tamil Veda, and they they paid more emphasis to that rather than the... They, they didn't, they had, there was this dichotomy that the North paid more attention to Sanskrit. that's why they worshipped the...
0: Well, in, I mean, South India is also sort of like the buckle in the Veda belt. I mean, <laughs> there's a lot of people that are very serious about the Veda, and they're also, they have some of their own traditions that, I mean, the Veda originally came from North India, but there are, and there are powerful so- South Indian traditions, but they also very much participated in the Vedic. Yeah,
2: I was just curious that they... Uh,
0: yeah, yeah, but they did have their own thing. But they also were very much involved with the Margo, Margot,
1: do you have a point. Uh, well, I was say. Wouldn't you say that it's important to be cautious about being um, discriminatory between philosophy and as how it's really just interpretations and semantics? Um, uh, semantics. not for them. Everybody has free will, so they yeah. have to experience the world the way they want it and express
0: it the way. But it that doesn't does. mean. But that doesn't mean it's just semantics, because that's like that's like radical
1: relativism. It really comes down to experience. Like we're we are all here experiencing the world the way we see it. Right. So that's what they're theorizing or they're theorizing about. And discriminating between them can get messy because different interpretations, like right now we're talking about the difference between Sanskrit in the north and in the south. So you each get a different way. To, but the best way to understand concepts is to actually practice the things that are going to allow you to understand intuitively rather than technic,
0: technique like that. Uh Well, for one thing, people, I mean, we do have intelligence, but we also, I mean, so we experience things in different ways. One of the ways, and there are people for whom it is important to get things straight. They want to get a clear map as to where they're going. And so for them, that's also an experience. In fact, that's actually Shankar's whole point. I mean, Shankar is the one that says that the path is knowledge. and So it's actually by making these distinctions that you actually make advancement. Ramanuja of course, would, in a sense, agree with you to a certain extent that it's not only about intellectualizing, you also have to have spiritual experiences. So Ramanujan agrees with you in that point, but to say it's semantics is to say that there are, aren't really any structures in the universe, and there aren't really any levels of reality, it's just words, and everyone just has experiences. No, but what we, yeah, what we find is that after people have had experiences, they talk about it, and that's where these philosophies came from. It's actually coming from people claiming to have experiences,
1: yeah.
0: and if you, if you look at the history of India, or the history of any other country, the different religions arose, like say Buddha, precisely because someone had a powerful experience, explained it to other people, and by hearing about it, and by hearing about the distinctions they made, they were able to have a similar experience.
1: But those experiences are such a high nature, that you know, we can only express them through symbols, so words in our and on earth right now, are symbols. And symbols can be interpreted in different
0: ways. Not really, you
1: see, because that, that's, that's tilting toward the impersonal side. Because on the
0: personal side, they would say words can actually be eternal, uh-huh. and words can actually be the thing itself. In fact, we have, the, in our book, the whole thing, of mantra. The whole idea, for example, is a very common view that that the name of God is God. And so, um, the idea that, that that words are just, are just symbols, they wouldn't accept. For us, for us to communicate. No, no but, but as far as saying that this is very high level, in a sense, even at our stage, let's say, if we're not so spiritually advanced or we're just down here trying to figure things out, it's like in a boat. If you're staying out on a ship, you know, and you go, let's say, 20 degrees that way or that way, you're going to end up in a different part of the world. Yeah. And so for someone to say that I'm going to start devoting myself to God, or, I'm going to start trying to get rid of the idea of God. Or, I'm going to try and start trying to understand that I'm not really a person. I mean, even from day one, those are very different programs. Those are very different programs. And, uh, if you take spiritual life seriously, there's a lot at stake. Not that you're going to go to hell forever, they didn't have that kind of thing. But... Uh, but in terms of where you end up. So if you go to the airport and you say, yeah, they're all just planes, you know, and you look up at the board and it says Boston or Chicago or San Francisco, those are just, those are just words. So, so for people who are actually involved, no, it, 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 these are really different flights going to very different destinations. And obviously, as you said, someone is going to choose something based on their experience.
1: So shouldn't we look for what's common among the scholars of like, we take experiences from games that we believe have the common the thing that we can interpret as being, uh, common Yes we should we
0: should but if we stay in the commonalities we're not really going to go anywhere in the same, we'll go somewhere but at a certain point Brahmanuja says the personal God is real and Shankar says no and we're concerned with getting God right. We're going to have to, you know, decide what we actually feel and experience.
1: They're uh, acting
0: as a for knowledge that's They don't claim that. They claim that knowledge is comprehensible. Both of them claim that you can understand things, and this is the way you should understand it. Uh, in their own ways, they, they might have been. But I'd say that both of them, that's their whole thing. The reason Ramanuja and Shankar traveled all over, this, all over South Asia is because they believed they had something very important for people. And I think we shouldn't be afraid of... Um, sort short of a vigorous discussion because no one's going to hell and no one's going to kill anyone so we can actually talk about it. So thank you very much. Okay.